Welcome everyone, my name is Brian Woolers and thanks for joining us here on TriCatch. Listen in as we talk with a couple of our solutions architects about how to nail the implementation of API First. If you guys would, please take a second to introduce yourselves to the audience. Thanks Brian, my name is George Nelson, I'm one of the solutions architects. Good to have you here. Thank you. Hi Brian, my name is Dan Honig. I'm a solutions architect on the team, been here for about a year. Awesome, thanks Dan. So we've got this thing called API First. Uh, been hearing a little bit about it. Why don't you tell me what that's all about? Glad to share that with you. For us, the definition of API First is your API is the first user interface of your application. That's the definition of API First. For the developers in the room, when we say uh, API, we're talking about REST APIs. And let me unpack that a little bit. So what does an API first mean to everyone? Basically what you're saying is your API, in the API first approach, your contract comes first, then the implementation. That's the first principle of an API first approach. The second principle that we are saying is your API is easy to understand and self-descriptive. Those are the two basic principles of an API first approach. So with those two principles, tell me how I would go about API first. Yeah, so you would wanna start with your open API spec what that looks like is you look at it from a business perspective. So you take the business need of that API and design the spec that way. So what you're really trying to avoid is pulling implementation details into the API spec itself. So you don't want to do that. You want business needs and the way the business wants it in the spec itself. So you can basically give that open API spec to a business person and they should be able to understand what it's giving them. There's no implementation details in the spec such as data store information, so like column names in a, in a database. There's no weird variable names in the spec. Uh, it's all business oriented. So your business analysts and your people who are not technical business people could look at it and at least understand what they're looking at. So you start that with you talking to your BA or whoever your business person is, working with your lead developer, and you basically, they work together to build that interface, if you will, that contract. And you put that into an open API spec, which is a specification that is industry-wide. It used to be called Swagger. Swagger handed that off to an industry-wide organization that now maintains it. So Swagger itself, they don't maintain it anymore. It's this okay. other organization that maintains it now and they call it Open API. So let me go back just a second. You talked a little bit about BA, lead dev, starting down the path of writing that specification. Is this job different for our BAs or for our lead devs? It is a little bit different. Today, most of the devs are the ones who are implementing the APIs and the lead devs are implementing the the basic API design are involved in the API design. There's nothing wrong with that approach. It's just that that's how we have done the, those things. The changes uh, at this point, we are asking the business analysts to think about those contracts, which is the first thing we said about the API first approach. It's about coming up with those contracts. And in this case, those contracts should be 
um, very customer focused. And I think we feel the business analysts are at that place where they can help translate the business requirements. And I think their very key role in that is, is to identify what those business requirements are from a consumer perspective. I think that's the key difference. And I think at this time, a business analyst might be able to look at the API and understand very well what those requirements are. Here's where I can give you a simple analogy of it. It's like today, if you look at a product label, like a food product label, and it tells you how many proteins are there, how many carbohydrates are there, and how many fat uh, grams are on that label. You don't have to open that product to consume it and find out, okay, this is what a milk might taste like or something sure. like that. We get a very clear description of it. Think about open API or API first approach as similar to that. It clearly defines what this product is all about. And, and from a consumer perspective, it gives you the confidence that this is what I will get. So those requirements look like a contract of what data is going to be yes. usable to a team or a business or whatever, trying to figure out a customer's journey and what might be available yep. um, to put on a UI or, or whatever. Yeah, so the spec defines all of that, and what the benefit from it is, since it was designed with more of a business focus, you now can read that, like a developer can come in and look at that, and they don't have to know the inner workings of how that application works. And so that spec will define all of the the error criteria, so all of the response codes that go back, what they mean, any four, 400 level responses such as, hey, you gave me a, an incorrect date format, it's going to come back in a very structured, consistent error response message that identifies that you gave me uh, this date and I expected it to be formatted like this. Okay. So it, it helps with, with the developer writing the client application that consumes the API. It helps them to be able to take that spec and basically implement their entire client app without going to, in our case, the team that wrote it here in-house in, in and actually asking them questions. The spec should answer most of those questions. Gotcha. All right. So another thing I might add to that is, like, why are we doing this API-first approach, right? If you ask that question, is like, today, if you think about it, when and a new problem comes to our team, you start from a UX perspective. You start with, oh, I'll let me start designing the UI first. Or you might start with the database first approach. You might say, you know what, let me define my data model first. And with an API first approach, we are saying, don't forget about the APIs. And we'll go, go to the reasons of why that's important. Um, the basic thing we have thought about is reusability. And that's the first problem that we want to solve today. And APIs are known for making integrations easier across teams. That's one of the basic purpose of an API. Uh, API does a very good job of talking between systems. That solves the integration problem. How do we increase the adoption rate of an API? How can we build things that are reusable? I think that's where we could use some more thought process into it. So I can build APIs that are consumed by multiple teams. But if those business a if those APIs are turned purely to solve a technical problem, which would be an UI or a database, we lost that. But if those APIs solved a business need, let's say it solved a loan API, let's say take an example of a loan API or a credit bureau API. If you design our API well enough that it can not only solve the technical needs, but also the business need is, hey, anytime you need a credit report, you call this API. Imagine the possibilities of it. All your loan applications can use it, and if it's an API, 
It can be used across devices like chatbots, or if a BI team needs it, they can consume the API. I think it opens that possibility of how an API can be reused in multiple uh, avenues without changing the underlying code. So if you put more emphasis on designing those APIs from a business perspective, then I think it opens the door for multiple clients to use it without you having to re-architect it multiple times. One of the things I'm hearing, though, it makes me wonder, like, when we think about API first, frequently when we think about, like, service-oriented architectures, yeah. right, that we get to a point where um, a lot of that logic for testability mm -hmm. and things like that into our APIs. Mm -hmm. I think what I'm hearing you say, though, is we probably want to take some of that logic mm -hmm. out because mm -hmm. it's really about, it's more about serving up the data. Yeah and having the logic specific either to a UI or some additional service right. layer in between to specifically fit the app. Yep. Like, what advice would you give a developer or a team when they're thinking about separating that architecture a little bit more to yep. get more towards API first? I think the short answer is BFF APIs. So let me dive into that a little bit. Today, if you look at an, a typical application that we develop, uh, it's a, it's a three-tier architecture pattern that we do. So you have your UI layer, then you have your middle chair, which is your REST APIs, then you have database. I'm highly simplifying that. Uh, let's say you have an Angular app, right? All your UI logic, all the Angular framework is on the UI side of it. It will talk to a REST API where you would have the application's code base along with the CRUD logic to how to get the data and some of the UI logic, how to display data on your screen. So what we would call that is, as a monolithic API. So where does BFF API comes into play? It's basically taking that UI-specific logic out of your middle tier and putting it the UI-specific logic into a BFF APIs. You might wonder, what is that saw? So when you do that separation between taking your uh, domain logic, that's the business logic, separating that from a BFF or UI-specific logic, now you've created the domain APIs in such a way that can be reused by multiple teams. I think that's the small change. Um, the small change is so crucial that it can help make our systems a lot more easy to integrate with because you're not reinventing the wheel because your domain APIs or business-centric APIs actually solve a business problem and that there's not any UI logic tied to it where it makes the adoption harder to go. There's an application here that we did a review on that had the BFF functionality put together with the domain-centric functionality, if you will. It dealt with taking in applications for loans, and that API, that API really served up, hey, you can give me an application and I'll go process that, but it can also authenticate a user to the website. It can also log information from the website, tracing information, debug information. And so all of that functionality was baked into that one API. So if another application came along, another team came along and said, hey, we want to write, we need to write our application and we need your, we need to use the functionality that your API serves up for submitting an application. Well, now, now that other team would be exposed to your logging implementation, your your security implementation, because that API you wrote pushed it all together in one API. So take that API, for example, pull out the security piece of it, pull out the logging piece of it, anything that's specific to that, that website, 
pull that out, that goes into what, what we're calling a BFF API, the backend for front-end API, where the website the website and that API API are really joined, right? They okay. it's a it's a one-to-one. That API would never be used for anything else. And um, it's very specific to that website. And the domain centric logic would come out into its into another API that then would be exposed on a developer portal for other teams to consume. For instance, in this example, that API would have that piece of functionality in there, plus maybe some other stuff. But for this example, that's what it was. So now that team, whatever, you know, another team wants to use, uh, submit an application for a loan, then they can go to the developer portal, find that application or that loan application API, whatever it's called. And everything that's exposed on that API is specific to that piece of functionality. Perfect. And so thanks for also defining Mm -hmm. BFF. Tell me, why is this important to us? There are two issues that we want to address, uh, especially the reusability and discoverability. And I think those are the two primary issues that we are after. And this is something we found through our developer survey. We asked, uh, we sent a survey out to the devs on the on the floor and asked them, with the current APIs that we have developed, what are the two primary issues that you see? They came back with uh, discoverability as one. Today, uh, what I mean by discoverability is like, hey, I want to use an API. They don't know uh, where to find them. And the, some of the ways that they find the APIs is ask the teammate. It's like, hey, Dan, do you know there's an API for getting stocks? Or is there an API for doing payments? So they ask their teammates. Or um, the other way they find uh, Discord APIs today is if, it, if a person has worked on that API, then they have the knowledge of the API, then they might say, hey, here's an API that I developed in the past. So there's not one place that they can go and find what are all the APIs that we have today. And uh, yeah, that... and just to, just to add to that, we have multiple APIs that serve up very similar pieces of information. One API might give a good amount of information, and then another API might give the same amount of information, but maybe two extra details. And so the teams don't know that, and... They're like, well, that API doesn't give me the details I want. So then they go write a new one. It's very disjointed or very fragmented. So the discoverability really comes into play with the developer portal. Mm-hmm. And the developer portal is going to expose what APIs we have. And if we go with an API first mindset, we should be able to define our APIs in a way that is very business oriented and we won't miss information on on the APIs or if we need to add new information later we can do that and it makes sense what APIs they go on. The marketplace that we're talking about this is where today through normal relationships I have with other teams or whatever I might go find out oh hey I know you supported a loan uh, API I'm going to go to that now I might go to the marketplace to search to see what what's available by the fields I need or by API name or whatever. And Dan, I think you mentioned if I want to extend that because I want a few more fields, how do I decide if we extend it, write a new one? What what do we do in that case? Yep. And that goes back to going to the business owner for that. So that would be going back to the business owner for that particular uh, piece of functionality or that particular API, explaining what you need from the API and seeing if it, fits 
in that API from a business perspective, or if there's another API that's already created that it would that information would come from. So it's a really discussion between the business owners um, to decide business owners and lead devs, you know, in our world here to decide if extra fields or additional fields need to be added to the API to return more data, basically. So we just talked a little bit about this upcoming marketplace. Yeah. Tell, tell me more about what that looks like and how we're going to okay. use that. I know Dan kind of went over that a little bit. I think for us, the future state, when we talk about API marketplace, is that centralized place where you can find, discover all the APIs that we have developed. So think about that as the app store for, um, FCSA app store for all APIs. So this is where the business would go and say, hey, can I find a real estate API? Can I find a loan API? Can I find a lease API? You should be able to search for it, find it, find the documentation for it, and should be able to integrate with that. And the whole goal of that is to not only solve the discovery problem, but also the reusability. So we don't want our teams to be reinventing the same wheel over sure. and over again. So this would be one place that we can find that ability to solve any business problem that we have. And you might ask, why is that important? Because in this digital marketplace, we want to move things faster. We want to uh, we want to progress faster. And I think uh, uh, this would enable us to get there a little more quicker. And I, I think that's the whole goal. We want to meet not only today's needs, but also changing business needs in the future. So this would help us help with that and also help support partners and new integrations as well. It should make that go a lot more faster because you have the capability to do that with API Marketplace. So once you have that API out there, it removes the need for the teams to constantly be in touch with the team that wants to consume it. Not that um, that's bad, but imagine if a team has a question and then the client, team B wants to come and consume it, you're spending, you're answering the same questions over and over again, but that problem would be solved through a developer portal where they can look at the clear and concise documentation of how to get an API, what are the endpoints it has on it, how to consume it. It might have some uh, SDK libraries that go with it, some code samples that go with it, and also how to get security implemented and like how to get their token and stuff like that. So all those things make the experience, the developer experience really great. And I think that's the whole goal of um, API marketplace is to not only make developers' lives easier, but also make the business problems a lot more easier to solve. Yeah, and the just to add to that, the developer portal or the API marketplace, it exposes that API spec. So everything that was put into that API spec gets displayed on the developer portal in that API marketplace. And so that's why it's really important to build that spec correctly right up front it doesn't have to be per perfect right away obviously you iterate sure. over it but once that's solid then then that api marketplace becomes really valuable so it's the window into all of your api specs essentially okay and that helps too i, I appreciate um now we have a place for searchability we have a place george i think you might have mentioned it really early on in the conversation also it gives not only for developers, but it gives um, our teams an opportunity mm -hmm. to see what's available for our mm -hmm. business. It's also going to give um, from the data management or the BI side another place for them to look in to find data that maybe they're looking to put together for reports or whatever mm -hmm. intelligence we're trying to figure out. 
But I think, so I, I heard one little piece that I'm curious about too, going back to like the difference in roles and how we do things different. Does this change any way that we're, I mean, we talked about gathering requirements, but does this, as I'm trying to document that spec, I'm probably doing it in a different place than I've done it in the past, okay. if all that data has to be in the marketplace specifically. Is that true? I'll talk through different roles a little bit. From a developer perspective, now they're, um, now they're developing their APIs with more of a consumer mindset in place. So they might pay, uh, we have a list of API guidance that they would follow. So that means making sure, like Dan mentioned about standardizing error codes. So we are a lot more consistent across teams. What does that mean to each team? Like today, if you look at our APIs, team A develops a little more different than team B. So this would standardize some of those things. We have some expectations around that. Like, hey, look at our guidance. Here's how you would send a standard error message for 200, looks like. Okay. So that would be one of the things that else might be, they might adopt in their day-to-day -day mm -hmm. stuff when they do APIs. From a business perspective, from a business analyst perspective, they would, they would spend a little more time on the making sure the open API spec that they have for the team meets the business need. What could that mean differently is like today, if you asked, uh, what does your product do? Uh, the BAs might be looking at the UI today to find out what the product does, or they might be looking, asking a dev, like, hey, can you tell me how this product works? Or they might have knowledge about it. But uh, uh, from if they have a good open API spec, they should be able to say, this is what my product does. I think that enables them uh, to be a lot more self-sufficient by having a good API spec. Okay. and on the developer portal. I think that's how that would change. From a um, uh, product owner or BSM perspective, which is our business solutions manager, they know all the capabilities that we have. Think about all these APIs as digital building blocks. So when a new product comes into place, they might know here's all the things that we already have built in our digital tool house and what we lack. I think it gives them a concise place to go look at um, what our capabilities are. So. There's a little bit of a change in each of those roles, but I think it's a good change. I think it's a positive change, and I think it enables us to go faster, which is why we're doing this. So as we change to API first, mm -hmm. how does it change the way we test the work that we do or how our teams test differently? One of the things we can see is the adoption rate go up on how your API is getting reused. Uh, so that might be a good way to validate the API first approach is working. Another uh, great validation would be to see how quickly a team can onboard their APIs, you know, um, when they integrate with another API. Uh, Dan, I have to think about that a little bit. So right now you're talking about validation and the transition to mm -hmm. API first. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about how our teams actually test differently because oh. now we're using APIs um, more for that, like data transport, but but what do I do differently from mm. my unit testing, my UI testing? Okay. Are there different tools or different testing techniques okay. I'd be using? Good so question. there's not, I don't think there's a whole lot of change in the code itself as far as <clears throat> the code that executes the functionality of the API. Uh, so your unit testing, your integration tests, whatever you have set up and how you do it today, it's more than likely going to stay the same. There's nothing really that changes there. But from the contract perspective on the API uh, and the open API spec, if you want to test that, 
to some extent. We have we're looking at like Swagger Hub or tools like that that will, when you upload it into Swagger Hub, it will run a, a check on it to validate certain things are up to our standards and everything else. So. Uh, it's like linting it, basically. It's doing a check on it or a test against it to make sure it's adhering to our standards. The actual testing of the functionality doesn't necessarily change. So one of the things that QAs can help with is making sure those uh, endpoints that we exposed to the open API spec actually meet the business functionality, so it'll be a lot more focused on the business intent revealing contracts now. So they're making sure that's getting done based on that. That would be one. The other thing I can see us do um, or embrace more is uh, along we use Postman today, but also Swagger Diff could be another one tool that we use as part of a post deployment to make sure that there's no ver- contract breaking changes between version one and two. I think to Dan's point, the things may not change as much as making sure the things that we're doing right now, uh, we embrace more of it. I cut you off when you were talking about validation. Mm-hmm. Are there other things that we would be doing to ensure that Farm Credit Services of America's dev teams move to the API first? Are there things that you're pl- you guys are planning on watching or helping guide our teams there? Is there a deadline to do all this? What are you guys thinking? From a deadline perspective, we're up and running right now. We got two or three APIs that we are onboard on Apigee. So one of the things we'll watch for is how our team's integrating with it what their experience on that is, what their, how quickly they're able to consume the API would be one. And we also check for any kind of issues that pop up through Apigee, like any kind of errors that are popping on Apigee. So we'll look at that. We'll also make sure the availability is there. So we'll check at the health check pattern that's been implemented to make sure it's available. And also from a performance perspective, we'll look at New Relic to see how their APIs are performing. And from an analytics perspective, we'll look at how many different consumers are calling their APIs, what are the different types of systems, what are the different types of users calling their API, and what are the endpoints that they're actually calling. So we know um, from a business point of view, hey, uh, these are the different endpoints that are getting used today. These are the ones that are not getting used. I think all that information is going to help and make sure the API is getting used and uh, used correctly and it's making a difference to the business so from a leadership standpoint are you planning on making that visible to leaders to help them guide their teams towards this as well from a leader's perspective i think they can be rest assured that the api that they develop by their team is being used across the teams with minimal impact to their timeline once the api is being produced right I think, uh, let me back up a little bit. Today, when you produce an API and a team wants to consume it, there's some kind of initial, hey, let me help you explain how this API works. So multiply that by other teams coming on board. So your team is getting those ad hoc requests. With the API developer portal, those requests should be streamlined. So that's something that your team um, should not have to focus on it as much as they were doing it in the past. So that would be one. Other than that, from an adoption perspective, we should be able to help that with the metrics on the Delper portal. We should be able to give them, hey, here's all the list of clients that are being used, which we didn't have today. So that's a good metric that we would be able to provide. Dan, earlier you talked a little bit about 
Swagger Hub, that being part of our builds or like the checks we do, do you see that becoming like many of our other tests where it might actually stop a build? We could verify when changes are happening or someone's breaking a contract that we can go in and. Yeah, so right now, right now we're kind of just trying out Swagger Hub, prototyping it, if you will. We have an enterprise account with them in a in a more of a, a demo fashion it's it's not not a we're not paying for it yet but they gave us access to the enterprise functionality to be able to try it out for a set period of time so we're going down that road to see how can it fit into our development process and maybe even our build pipeline so we're not quite sure what that looks like right now but it does do certain checks and validations on the spec itself which could prevent that spec from being pushed into the developer portal, which then means that the developer portal either wouldn't have the API displayed in it at all if it's a new one, or whatever update to that spec would not get pushed into the developer portal, which then you really wouldn't want to push your code because then the developer portal is off from what is represented in the code. So yeah, we don't we still have to look into that and figure that piece out, how that's all going to look. It's just one possibility, one tool at Swagger Hub uh, helping us with that process of validating our specs and basically testing them to make sure they're ready to go. Okay. And so if we don't use Swagger Hub, it might be some other tool doing some of the similar checks, yeah, we, right? I think we're realizing that we have to have some kind of tool there if that's Swagger Hub or not, but yeah, there's going to be some some tool that we will use to do those checks and make sure the specs going into the developer portal are up to guidance because getting it from an API first perspective, it's kind of hard to do that in an automated way because that's really more around the content, not necessarily the format structure of the spec. So that's just going to have to come in with reviews, reviewing the the specs, whoever does that on the team or whatever. So one of the greatest benefits of Swagger Hub that I see as part of the design process is the collaboration. So mm -hmm. you can start on the open API spec through that. And like Dan mentioned, all the benefits of validation, uh, spec validation, you get it. But the key point there is you should be able to collaborate with other teams right away. So uh, it gives you the opportunity to do parallel development in a way. So say that I have an open API spec, I start defining my contract in the data model, and that meets my client need, you should be able to, this gives you the uh, ability to expose that right away. So I think that's the key factor right there. And also if you're working with external clients, that's a huge benefit. You can say, hey, here's something you can, once you've landed on your contract and the data model, your client can start consuming it. And as implementer of the API, you can start the development process. So going back to the parallel development, imagine the possibilities of that, right? It saves a lot of time. You don't have to wait till the actual API gets implemented. You should be able to start right away and get that early feedback and gives you the potential to scrap something because it's still in the design phase. That is key. You know, you don't spend a lot of development cycle to figure if this is going to work or not. The client can give you a feedback, hey, this contract and this data model is not going to work for us. Or if you're doing a simple prototype, hey, I want to make sure this works not only for my mobile site, but also for my chatbot, you could literally expose that uh, contract right now and interact with it with that mock data. 
I think those are the key benefits, the parallel development, ability to start a design and prove it out and not have to have implementation is going to be so key for us to move faster. As we wrap this up, what would you say to our audience, what are the key benefits of API first? I would say, okay, and going back to the key principles, you know, API is your first UI, meaning that's your first inter- user interface that you should be able to interact with your API. And you start with a contract and end with the, I think it's, your API is easy to understand and self-descriptive. So those are the key takeaways. And the benefits, we go back to um, ease of integration and also parallel development and a scalable architecture. Those are the benefits you get right away. From a business perspective, ability to discover what our capabilities are so you can start creating innovative solutions that would drive the business outcome. So that's in summary of what an API-first approach is. What our statement is, your API contract comes first. Then the implementation, and what that does is it keeps the implementation details out of the mm-hmm. contract. So your contract is more business oriented, and that makes that API a more of a domain API instead of the BFF style APIs. It separates the two. So that is what an API first driven design, if you will, or mindset does, where it forces you to think about hey, I'm building this for a website, but the functionality for the website I'm going to put into this other API because my domain functionality needs to go into my domain API. When you do it that way, you do it from an API-first mindset of here's the business needs, that's all that's going to go in there. I'm not going to clutter it with other details for a website or any other client or any implementation within the API itself. It's strictly from a top-down perspective because that is the essence yeah. of why you do API first, because you do not want the details of right. If you write code first, that code is going to leak up into the API. And we've seen it several times, many times in all of our APIs. I would go back to saying your API, it's API first approach is a mind, uh, it's a design approach. It's a mindset change. And the mindset change being, don't forget about the APIs when you start development. Your API is the first UI, user interface of your application. And then you start with the contract. Uh, don't worry about the implementation yet. And it's API is self-descriptive, and it's easy to understand for your consumers. You do that, and you do that well, I think you've nailed it. Thank you to Dan and George for sharing the direction we are taking with API First. I hope you learn more about what things might look like in the near future. Thanks for listening in. We hope you're back here on TriCatch again soon to learn more about what's happening at Farm Credit Services of America.